journey that we've been on together where we've been um, studying especially the women in the genealogy of Jesus found in, in Matthew's genealogy. Um, and we just talked about this idea that it's incredibly interesting that Matthew would include any women at all, especially these women. Um, so we find this lineup of on either end, beginning with Sarah, ending with Mary, these women that we hold up as these great people of faith. And in the middle, we find these interesting characters whose lives are marked, um, so some of them being prostitutes, some pretending to be prostitutes, um, and just all of this mixed up mess, it seems like, that Jesus comes through. He comes through this line of mixed up, messed up people. And yet there's in this incredible hope for us in that, that, that Jesus comes from a long line of screwed up people, and that we are all screwed up, screw, screw ups as well. But Jesus restores us, and he redeems us, and it just shows how overflowing and how deep the redemptive power and love of God is for us. It's a beautiful idea. And so today we, we finish that, and we come to um, one of the most important people in this whole story. And we're going to talk about Mary today. Mary is this incredible, incredible person um, that we continue to revere and, and just love deeply. salvation story. Um, and this is one of those stories uh, as we talk about kind of the nativity and this, this idea of Mary and then and also her husband Joseph and the virgin birth that takes place. And this is one of those stories that every year we, we're telling it over and over again. It's a central piece of the whole thing. Um, and over the years, you know, we realized that here we are 2,000 years separated from the original event. And so we, we try to kind of work through what are these traditions that we've kind of put into it. And, and then on the other hand, what are the real things that really happened? And so um, what we try to do is, is, is really try to cut to the core of that and say, what was the real story? What really happened? And uh, thanks to some great and just like the highest possible like historical scholarship, um, thanks to forensic science being able to piece together some things that happened so long ago, um, thanks to some great just like cutting edge archaeology, um, we have been able to piece together like the real story of, of what really happened. We're going to show you um, probably what it was really, really like. Let's go ahead.
archaeologist. All right, there we go. I love that at our church we are so nerdy. We have running jokes that involve archaeology and historical scholarship. Okay, um, sweet. Obviously, that was not what really happened. But um, today, we're going to look at this story that um, every, every time this year, you know, there is this intense kind of pressure to find a fresh take on this story that's 2,000 years old. And, um, and people do their best to come up with a creative and different kind of way of telling the story. And um, without a doubt, I've, I've definitely felt that pressure um, for today. Um, but, you know, I, I really did also feel this kind of relief in that. And the sense that, you know what, this is a story that tells itself. This is a story that tells itself. It does not need a creative twist on it. Um, it is it is strong and it is powerful just in and of itself. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I'm going to read through a portion of this story, and then we're just going to walk through it almost like Bible study style and pull out a couple of key words, a couple of key ideas and um, things that are in there, and just see what it what it has to teach us today. So that is what we're going to do. Grab your Bibles if you got them, and we're going to read from Luke chapter 1. Uh, starting in verse 26. Father, take this word that is the story of your son and through your Holy Spirit inspire us today. Help us to glimpse it, um, not in a new way, but, but in an old way, to get the true heart and meaning of what this is about. And um, I pray that you would just let this story tell itself today. It's in your name we pray. Verse 26, chapter 1, book of Luke. In the sixth month, God sent the angel, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May it be to, to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. A couple of things that jump out to me as we go through this story. First of all, what the, the, one of the key words right in the middle of that, as, as it introduces the story, it talks about a virgin named Mary. There was a virgin named Mary who lived in this little town called Nazareth. And that word virgin is obviously incredibly key this story for several reasons. Uh, one is that it breaks open the story as a story of miracle. 
Okay, this is a story of miracle. If you are not exactly sure <coughs> why that word makes this story a miracle story, then um, stick around afterwards and Justin will be glad. <laughs>
because it tells us she's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, but she is not married yet. She's not married yet. And in this culture, um, the marriage, that, that this kind of relationship is not consummated in this way until the actual marriage has taken place. And, and we've got to place ourselves in, in the setting and in the time frame of when this is happening. Okay, This is a day in which the culture was extremely built on the ideas of honor and shame. Honor and shame. And, and also built on the idea of family, incredibly tight family. There wasn't an extreme focus on the individual like there is in our culture, um, but you were part of a greater whole. And so anything that you did reflected back on your whole family, was a reflection on the whole family unit. Whoever your family was was a reflection of you as an individual. You were intimately tied to that greater family. So this idea of, of, of think about culture 2,000 years ago in, in, in the Middle East and of a young girl saying, I am pregnant and I am not married yet. The amount of scandal that is attached to this and what that would have meant for her whole family, what that would have meant not just culturally and socially for her family, but what it would have meant also emotionally for Joseph. This is, this is terrible news for Joseph to get at the beginning until an angel appears to him and says, hey, Mary's telling the truth. Believe her. This is something incredible, and you get to be a part of this too. But initially, this was a, this was a point of heartbreak for Joseph, that she had, once, she had, on the one hand, completely shamed him by being unfaithful, um, and also just the heartbreak that went along with that of, of what he thought so there's a lot right from the beginning. Just that word virgin sets off for this story. okay? And the idea of Mary's courage that we're going to find later of her embracing this destiny of her saying, yes, I will carry this um, and I will carry this burden you're placing on me. Um, it was totally wrapped up with scandal um, for her. This would have been a very difficult thing for her to embrace. Okay? Uh, then the last thing that this, that this idea of virgin brings together is kind of the combination of those two and it's um, on the one hand we see the absolute miracle of this and so the great glory and strength of God being displayed in the way that Jesus' life on earth begins and on the other hand we basically have a girl who comes kind of out of nowhere um, with no real kind of standing in her culture at all and the humility that is attached to the rest of this story and the way Jesus and so from the very beginning, we get a glimpse of who Jesus is going to be. He is always totally wrapped up in this glory of the miracle and the power of God. And at the same time, the humility of the lowest people on earth. He sets us off and lets us know from the beginning, this is who I am. I am the glory of God, and yet I come to you walking humbly. It's beautiful. So he lets us know from the very beginning. This is who he's going to be. The glory and the humility wrapped up in each other. The, the next key thing that, that jumps out to me is, um, is the angel's greeting. And the angel says to Mary twice here, Greetings, you who are highly favored in God's eyes. 
you have found great favor in God's eyes. And, and that word favor is, is a word that is pretty popular um, in the current expression of Christianity right now. Okay? It's pretty popular. We hear a lot of preachers and different people teaching about the idea of God's favor. And most of the time, it is very much wrapped up almost in this idea of like God's favor being like a good luck charm for us. Right? It's like, man, if God's favor is on you, then you're going to walk into an interview and they're going to hand you that job and give you a raise on your first day. Right? Or, or if God's favor is on you, you're going to like be pulling in the parking lot and this is a parking pass for you. Man. You're going to get a front row spot. And, and just all of this kind of idea that the favor of God is, is almost like a good luck charm or this path to prosperity. And if God's favor is on you, then everything will go well for you. The doors will fling open for you. Money will start flowing in if you have that favor of God resting on you. That is a very popular idea right now. However, it is very unpopular when you place it next to what Scripture has to say. Very rarely do we see that kind of thing happening in Scripture. Most of the time, God's favor is attached not to just this prosperity and, and all good things falling on people. Instead, God's favor is most often attached to his trust in a person, to him entrusting a person with a beautiful kind of burden. For the most part, these are difficult tasks that he asks people to live out. Now, absolutely, it's wrapped up with the glory of knowing that, that we are completely in the middle of God's will, that we are serving God and doing something for God. But, but oftentimes, it's wrapped up with difficulty, and it is not this free pass in the world. It's not this automatic path to prosperity for us. And we see this here with Mary. God's favor, absolutely, there's this high honor, highest honor that anyone has ever experienced in this world being handed to her. But along with it comes this difficult and beautiful kind of burden, this difficult path that she's being asked to walk. So most most of the time, favor is kind of connected to God's trust in a person. And that's a crazy thing to even say out loud, that God would trust a person. Which requires more faith for us to trust God who has everything under complete control or for God to trust us, those of us with a track record of completely blowing it over and over again. And yet God's favor, it says, is that he is trusting Mary with this incredible, beautiful kind of birth. And that's most of the time what God's favor looks like. So when you pray for that, and when you ask for God's favor in your life, know what you're asking for. Know what you're asking and the greatest honor you can ever receive is to serve him and to humbly be a servant of his. Okay, it's not an automatic path to prosperity, and it is absolutely not a good luck charm in our lives. The, the next thing that, that we see unfolding here is this incredible news that the angel gives to Mary about the final fulfillment of God's promise to his people. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come. And now this angel says, not only is the, is the Messiah coming, but he is coming through you. He's going to show up through you.
you. You are going to be the mother of this child that is going to grow up and be the savior of his people and the savior of the world. Here's what it says, just to read it again. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. The long wait is over. The hope and the joy and the peace and the love finds its final culmination in the arrival of Jesus Christ. He is finally here. They have been waiting forever. Mary's people, the Israelite people, have been waiting forever. And now this news is coming that he is about to show up and you're going to be his mother. You're going to give birth to him. Incredible. Incredible. So over the past few weeks, we've been on this Advent journey like we've been talking about. And here we have these candles that, that we have been lighting together to mark this, to, to really illustrate um, this idea, that it, the words of the prophet Isaiah, that the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins in the dark, with people looking, straining to look ahead in the future, hoping that God will come through on his promise. And, and the first candle we lit was the hope candle and that first spark of light and that first glimmer of hope. And we talked about the character of Sarah. We said that, that Sarah teaches us that hope is always worth the wait. And that sometimes the most courageous act of faith is to wait. So we lit the hope candle together. And then we lit the candle that represents joy. And we talked about the story of Ruth. And the joy that comes when her story gets completely turned around. It was one that had been bitter, and now it is made beautiful. And, and, and she experiences this joy of what it means to be spoken for, and what it means to know that your story is not over. That God has not given up on you. And then last week, we, we lit the candle of peace. We talked about the story of Bathsheba, and how she... Um, know, became the, the wife of David through this scandalous kind of way, complete sin. And her story is marked with lust, with adultery, with sin, with betrayal, and even with murder. And yet, still through her line, Jesus Christ shows up down the road. And so God redeems even that story. And we talked about the ideas. We lit this candle that, that represents peace, and we said that peace is knowing what you have done in your past is not nearly as important as what God is going to do with your future. And so this morning we lit the love candle represented by Mary who carries this labor of love and literally brings love into the world. Literally brings love into the world as we'll talk about later. The idea that, that Mary's story tells us that the purest form of love for God So the great news that comes through the angel to Mary is that Jesus Christ is here and he is coming. And so today we light the Christ candle as well, representing the arrival, finally after we've waited for so long, the arrival of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the promise that God did what he said he was going to do and he actually came himself to accomplish the 
the arrival of the Messiah. So as we wrap this story up here, we see, um, we see God's kindness continue to Mary. We see God's kindness continue to Mary. And, and I love what it says here at the end of the story. It says, and Mary, even Elizabeth, your cousin, who was said to be barren, is now in her sixth month. Okay, what a cool story. So Elizabeth, her cousin, is actually giving birth to John the Baptist, who is this prophet that's going to go ahead of Jesus and prepare the way for Jesus and, and pave that path for Jesus to come along and have to be his cousin. How beautiful is that? And, and so God brings Elizabeth into this story as well. We see God's kindness all around here because for years Elizabeth had been praying that she could have a child, that her and her husband Zechariah could have a child. And, and now God accomplishes it. And, and part of his gift to Mary is also wrapped up in his gift that he gives to Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth, who is said to be barren, is now in her sixth month. And this great kindness to God. And accomplishing his plan, he grants his prayer of Elizabeth that she thought was going to be impossible. It's also a gift to Mary, too, because in Elizabeth she has a friend and a mentor who will help her along this difficult journey, who is going just a little bit ahead of her, six months ahead of her, and will be able to hold her hand and walk her through this difficult journey that she is about to begin, the rich kindness of God showing up everywhere. And then the story closes with this statement from Mary, which is really the turning point of the whole thing. After she gets this unbelievable news, and from this God who asks much of us, who asks us to believe the unbelievable, Mary has one simple response, and it is this. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. And in that, we find what love really looks like. The purest form of love for God is reckless surrender. She knew what this was going to mean socially, the repercussions of all of this, the shame culture, what it would mean for her family. And she embraces it. She says, whatever you want from me, you have it. You have it. I am your servant. And this is the way the story of God begins. With humble submission to the will of God. And through the life of Jesus, we see this repeated over and over and over again, that the greatest acts of faith are these humble submissions to God. And that's what real love looks like. This is the Christmas story. This is it. This is the thing that we've been waiting for. Hope, joy, peace, love, all finding their culmination finally.